0: In tumultuous times, and we all face so much fear, anxiety, and uncertainty. How then do we become and remain healthy, balanced people when we live in such a chaotic, unhealthy, and unbalanced world? Join us today as my guest describes the number one threat to humanity and exactly what you and I can do to combat this threat. This was a thought provoking episode that you don't want to miss, so buckle up. You're going to learn what you need to do to save the human race from disaster. Hello, and welcome to the Over 50 Health and Wellness Show. I'm your host, Kevin English. I'm the founder of The Silver Edge, and our mission is to help you build and maintain a lean, healthy body that you love for the rest of your life, so that you can show up in the second half of your life as the healthiest, strongest, most vital version of yourself. We have a great show for you today. Dr. Fred Moss is here, and he's going to help us find mental health in an unhealthy world but before we get to that i want to let you know that this episode is brought to you by the silver edge the silver edge is my online nutrition exercise and lifestyle coaching business that caters to those of you over 50 who aren't ready to give up and buy into the common narrative of it's all downhill from here at the silver edge we take a health first approach to working with our clients to help them build lean strong vital bodies that last look There's no shortage of lose weight quick coaches and programs in the world, but here's the deal. You can either lose weight quickly or permanently. So if you're tired of losing and gaining the same weight over and over again, if you're tired of constantly dieting, if you have a poor relationship with food, exercise, and your body, then I invite you to book a call to see if our services are a perfect fit for you the easiest way to do this is to head over to silveredgefitness.com and click on the coaching tab or just shoot me an email at coach at silveredgefitness.com. Okay, enough of that. Let's get on with today's show. My guest today is Dr. Fred Moss. Dr. Moss is a renowned mental health advocate, keynote speaker, and psychiatrist with a passion for helping people find their authentic selves. As the founder of the Welcome to Humanity movement and the True Voice Mastermind, Dr. Moss's work is centered on the power of communication to heal and connect people. With over 40 years in mental health, he is on a mission to empower us by undiagnosing, unmedicating and indoctrinating our lives enabling us to reclaim our true selves i started this interview by asking dr moss how he first became interested in the subject of mental health
1: it really started on my birthday you know my actual day of birth i entered this world into a family that was kind of dealing with chaos and disarray and i was called on at that time to bring mental health to a place where maybe it was a little bit diffused I was called on to bring joy and love and compassion and communication to that family. I had two older brothers and a couple parents who weren't getting along all that well, as I recall, and as they have told me since. And my job was to be a bundle of joy and to promote connection and communication in the family members. And apparently I did a pretty good job for a while. Now, if you ask my brothers now whether I'm doing a good job, that's a whole new question. But I just want to say that's how it was for my first couple of years. Let's fast forward a little bit so I don't worry you about having to go through all 65 of my years to get to today. We'll fast forward a little bit to wanting to be a communicator all the way through regular school and really getting at that point that I felt speaking was the way to communicate. I now have learned that speaking is only half or maybe even one quarter of what it takes to communicate effectively because the listening and receiving end is really way more important than the speaking end. As I got through school, I realized that school wasn't where I was going to learn how to communicate. The best place I was going to learn how to communicate was going to be in the streets, really, was going to be with people. Nevertheless, I went to the University of Michigan, hoping that I would learn something there. And I did learn, but I learned in Ann Arbor, not so much in the classrooms. Eventually, I got sick of school and dropped out, not once, but actually twice. The second time I went back, I was instructed by one of my older brothers to take on an industry that was just birthing at that time that I had never heard of, but I heard it was, you know, going to be the future, which was something called computers and compute. The only computer in the entire state of Michigan was at the university of Michigan. So I went back for a second try, didn't like it enough and quit again. Eventually I got a job working as a childcare worker in a state mental health facility for kids approximately six or eight years younger than me. And for the first time, I was actually getting paid to communicate. Now, I knew the communication was really the source of all healing at that time. But here I was really learning it on real time, you know, really in the fire, if you will. And all of us were healing, not just me, not just my kids, not just my clients and my residents, but me too. So human connection and human conversation is what it really takes to heal. And I really began to learn that. The thing I hated about that job was actually the way psychiatry was treating those kids. We would call the psychiatrist. They would come down, interview that, you know, maybe Timmy was up too late or Jimmy and Johnny had gotten into a squabble of some sort. The ch- psychiatrist would come down and talk to the child for like three seconds and then talk to us for seven seconds and go write something in a chart. And we'd have to go retreat the child and hold them down in the quiet room while we packed them full of an injectable, you know, cocktail of antipsychotic, anti-anxiety mixture of some sort. And if they remained in a stupor for the next 24 hours, we called that a success story, right? So the thing that our listeners should really know about this is this is still going on every single day in every hospital in the United States, for sure. This is not anything new. But it was totally barbaric. It was totally unacceptable. It was totally heinous, and I felt like I needed to go back into the field. My brother was already a psychiatrist. I thought that I would go back into the field and bring communication centrally to what psychiatry really is, which is addressing mental health imbalances or addressing discomfort in the way the world is occurring. And that's what I did. I went back a third time, got my undergraduate degree and plowed through medical school and plowed through residency, got my child and adolescent fellowship because that's, you know, I'm still a child care worker even to this very day. I got that job in 1980, uh, January of 1980, and I consider myself a glorified child care worker to this very day with a couple of new degrees added on and, you know, a lot of world experience. So over the next, you know, we'll say over the next 35 or 40 years, that's what I got is a lot of world experience as a psychiatrist. And each prescription I wrote, because the field, of course, the industry had become typecast to be a pharmacological industry. I mean, if you ask someone now, what's the difference between a psychiatrist and a psychologist? Nearly everyone will say the same thing, which is, oh, yeah, a psychiatrist is the one who can write medicine. Well, that's the part of my job that I dislike the most that's just part of my job that actually caused heart pain, you know, it actually caused a soul sacrifice. I really didn't appreciate being a pharmacologist. And so over time, it eventually became too duplicitous for me to continue to do that. In 2006, I started to do something different, which sounded so radical to my peers, but to me seemed so obvious. And that was to take my low-risk patients off of medicine. Actually, to take them off of medicine seems like that's a radical move. In our present way of thinking, we're not worried about starting people on medicine. We're worried about taking them off of medicine, which is totally crazy as it turns out. I mean, we're not worried about putting, you know, laboratory based toxins down people's throats. We're worried about actually taking them off of it. It's just incredible. Well, reliably those clients that I started taking off medicine got way better, you know, sometimes so much better and that their diagnosis would disappear. And I began to really see what I now know to be true, which is that these medicines often don't do what they say they're going to do. And instead, they often perpetuate or even increase or possibly cause the symptoms they're marketed to treat. And I learned that especially in 2006. My, my career continued. I considered stopping medicine altogether because I couldn't be an agent for a machine that I simply couldn't, couldn't align with at all. And I did stop medicine a couple of times. Eventually, we're going to take another leap. I worked all around the country for the next 10 years. I I uh, basically closed my practice in Cincinnati, Ohio, taking as many people off medicine as I could before I left, and then began to be a traveling physician, a locum tenant. I was all over the country and then all over the world doing medicine and learning about how medicine and psychiatry and mental health were diagnosed and treated all over the world. And so I worked in Tel Aviv. I worked in Paris. I worked in London. I worked in many different countries, often as a telepsychiatrist back here into the United States. The other thing that really ended up happening in 2016 is when I jumped into Welcome to Humanity. And Welcome to Humanity is now fairly self-explanatory. It basically says that each and every experience that we have is part of the complexity, but part of the beauty of what it means to be alive. It's okay to be uncomfortable. It's more than okay. It's actually normal. It's actually okay to be imbalanced. It's more than okay. It's actually normal. This is a world that actually asks us to stay imbalanced, to stay in confusion, to stay on, you know, uneasy, to be easy in a world that's very uneasy certainly isn't a sign of being healthy. And we all know that in our core of chords. We already know that we're all uncomfortable. There is nobody walking the face of the planet who knows anything about anything, who's walking around comfortable with how things are going and how the future appears to unfold. It's okay to be afraid of the future. It's okay to be depressed or regretful of things in the past. It's okay to not have a view of what it is you're up to and be aligned with who you really are in the world. And all those things are incorporated into Welcome to Humanity, which basically says, maybe there's nothing wrong with you. Maybe... What you think is wrong with you only has that being part of what it is of what is like a prerequisite of being human. Each of us think there's something wrong with us, after all. Therefore, it's part of the quality of being human is to think that there's something wrong with you. So if you think there's something wrong with you, welcome to humanity, because we all think that. And we start walking forward a little bit. I start looking at how can we really express ourselves? And what do we need to take on in order to find the quickest and most effective way to find balance in an imbalanced world? What I learned over time is that creativity and connection and conversation and specifically communication really, really are what's required. I wrote a book called The Creative Eight, which looks at multiple ways of being creative to create immediate balance in a world where we feel imbalanced. And then I began to do podcasting. As a guest and as a host, I created the Welcome to Humanity podcast and began guesting around all over everyone else's podcast as well. And at that time, started teaching people how to podcast. So I wrote a book called Find Your True Voice, which uses podcasting as a template in the background. And I created the True Voice podcasting course, which takes people from zero to podcaster, if that's where they want to go, by running them through where their inauthenticities are Clearing up those inauthenticities, getting them aligned with who they are at their core self, allowing them to see where they went off the road a little bit. And nearly all of us have been living somewhat exaggerated or we'll say, I don't want to go so far as say duplicitous, but you know, we we do tend to fabricate a little bit our stories and or often tend to actually act like we're someone we're not in order to protect the person that we are. None of those things work. It's totally ludicrous. And we all know, it. I see that smile on your face because you know what I'm talking about. You know yeah. that we, we as humans and specifically us over 50, you know, we think that we're old and already set in our ways. But oftentimes the ways that we are set in are simply stale and do not align with who our core values are. We know we could and should be talking at various points and we not. And in some even more ludicrous cases, more preposterous situations, we are actually saying things out loud that even we don't believe when we say. Them. Now, I need to ask you to look at that for a second. What the hell is that? Yeah. Actually saying things out loud that even we don't believe when we say them. That isn't even lying. That is beyond lying. That's a level of duplicity that is simply embarrassing, t- totally tragic as humans. Now, I'm not blaming that, like if you or your listener knows yourself to be that person, I'm not saying you're ludicrous. We are ludicrous. We have been bred to think that that's an okay thing to do in order to fit in or in order to not disrupt or in order to not be thrown off the island or ostracized or dismissed or canceled or whatever we're concerned with. And what I am must stand for, for sure, is helping people get back, rediscover their true self, and begin to express it openly to the people in their world that matter to them at the very least, taking incremental steps in that direction so that we can start speaking our truest self. Because ultimately, when we start harmonizing, when we start resonating with our true self in our communication, that's where the source of all healing, of all conditions, of all types actually emanates from. Not simply mental health, by the way. Although I've been guided by a lot of coaches to just stick to the mental health area so that I don't step outside my bounds and people don't say, you don't know what you're talking about, about something. I clearly know about mental health 100,000 prescriptions later, 40,000 patients later, 40 years later, 43 years since 1980. And so I'm allowed to speak as an expert from that area. But this is also true in other areas as well. And you know that and I know that. My most recent work is really about helping healers. So the people who are here, who went into the field, um, you know, almost everybody who went in to be a healer knew that they had a blessing or a gift and a real desire to help people with that blessing and gift. And then once they get into the field, they run into the meat grinder of what's really entailed in having that job, and they become misaligned or they become disenchanted. And this is a group that needs to have them, maybe more than any other group, It's very critical that this group actually gets their mojo back and gets aligned with themselves so that healing can take place in other areas of the world. But in order for that to take place, we got to get the tuning fork fixed. The tuning fork isn't fixed. It won't ring true and it won't be able to heal in a human connection. So my job now is to, these are my brethren. You know, I went to medical school with these people. I'm a gifted healer and been so for 65 years. I feel like I have a real brotherhood or sisterhood or fraternity or sorority, a humanity family that are healers who really could use a little boost in getting themselves back in line and then either back in the field or at least headed in a direction that is that is more directly associated with their core values and who they know themselves to be. There you go. There's a little, what, seven-minute, eight-minute based synopsis of how I got to be here.
0: That's quite the story. So I think that a lot of folks can resonate those that, those of us that say, Hey, I got the caregiver gene. A lot, a lot of us grew up in these dysfunctional families where we were forced at an early age to be the peace mediator or the peace broker or the stabilizer. A lot of us did that with humor. We did that. Others withdrew, right? We all have these different ways of coping in chaotic situations it sounds like your way of coping was through healing, through words, which you identified at a very, very early age. And then you said something really interesting there early on in that story. You said communication is the source of all healing. Now, I think that given that your biography right there, we have at least a high level sense of what you mean by that. But maybe could you dig into that a little bit more when you say sure. communication is the source of all healing? What specifically are we talking about? We're
1: really talking about human connection more than even communication. So we all really want to be heard more than anything. We want to be seen as relevant. We want to be known for who we are and who we're not. I think Henry David Thoreau said, the mass of men live lives of quiet desperation and then go to their graves with their songs still in them. We all don't want to be that person. We want to be actually make a difference while we're here. We want to be seen for this person that we are. And so when I began to resonate with people, people healed. And you had this experience more than likely as well. You say something odd or you say something you're concerned about or leaves you vulnerable. And the person you're with actually gets it. Now, when you feel like someone actually understands you, actually is aligned with you, actually resonates and harmonizes with you, then who you get to be that point is someone who is healed. There's a healing that takes place very profoundly at that moment. I have a very good friend who's a pediatrician who used to tell stories and she, she still does tell stories. She's a pretty much a world renowned pediatrician who lives about 60 miles away. And I think I'll choose not to name her right now, but she used to tell stories about how she could cure earaches and knee pain. She could cure all sorts of physical pain just by listening to her clients, the children and their parents. And that, but at the end of the session without applying any kind of actual hands-on treatment or any kind of medicines or injections or or you know any kind of braces or or anything like that, the the clients would be cured, would be healed of their physical concerns. What we want more than anything for certain is to be heard, is to be resonated with, is to be connected to. And I believe that even when there is healing modalities that are used, such as, you know, braces or medicine or whatever the doctor or the healer uses, that's not even going to work well unless there was direct human communication and connection initially. So there's nothing more critical. It's a prerequisite for all healing of all circumstances, of all
0: conditions, of all types. Okay. I think I could 100% get on board with all of that. But as you were speaking, it got me thinking, do you think that... Are we losing the ability to communicate and connect? Is it becoming a bit of a lost art? Is it because it, it seems to me that maybe that's
1: the case, but it's nice of you to soften it up with maybe. Does it seem like <laughs> uh, are we possibly losing it? Because, of course, we are. Hmm. But you could see it out there, you could feel out there. What the hell's going on out there? Is it uh, we're not communicating? We are no longer the greatest threat in the world today is not what we think it is. The greatest threat in the world today is not a virus. The greatest threat in the world today is not climate change. The greatest threat in the world today is not sex trafficking. It's not racism. It's not the war in Ukraine. It's not who's going to win the next election. It's not anything like that. It's not the next Supreme Court justice. Now, all of those things are massive threats to humanity. Each one of them single-handedly could take the entire race down, of course. So I'm not saying any of them are small, but there's a greater threat out there. And the greater threat, and you can hear me headed this direction, is that we're not communicating our true selves with each other. Why do I think that that's even a greater threat? Because everything I just named is going to require clear and honest communication to get on the other side of. And if we can't find our way to communication, it's curtains. We're done. It's over. If you think we can get through this without communicating, you're just dead wrong. And that includes communicating with people you don't agree with and maybe really seriously, like diametrically opposed on various topics. People have this audacity to actually like reject and give up, essentially totally dismiss somebody who is in disagreement. Disagreement is not in and of itself a faulty way to be. If you would be them, you would think what they think too. The opportunity is to have open communication with each other so that we can adequately take on not only the problems of the world, but the love that's available in the world, the healing that's available in the world. And the only way we're going to get there is by communicating effectively and connecting adequately with each other. That, to me, is a much greater threat than any of the single calamities, which are all profound in their own right. Please understand I'm not dismissing any of them.
0: Gotcha. hundred percent on board. We live in these very polarizing times. It seems like our culture encourages that kind of behavior, but I want to back up and just ask you. So the answer to my question is, are we heading that, direct, you know, is this becoming a lost art? Is it resounding? Yes. So my next question then is why, what, what's going on? What do you think is the cause in our society or our culture that's caused this, this divisiveness? Well,
1: normally when I do keynote speaking or when I talk to a room of any group, any size of any type, and I ask a question similar to that, there's really one word that pops out way more than every other word. And that's a four-letter word starting with F. It's fear. Fear. It's fear. Yeah. People are entirely afraid. To, they, feel, they feel that their fear is enough to keep them quiet or to keep them from actually speaking mm-hmm. their true self for fear of disruption or fear of doing something wrong or fear of being embarrassed or fear of being dismissed, fear of causing more problems than they, than they would if they stayed silent. The other thing is our sources of communication have shifted so drastically. Our thumbs are more important in communication than our vocal cords are. Yeah. And with autocorrect, there are so many mistakes we make. I don't know about you, but I can't get that shit down on on an iPhone ever, (laughs) like nearly every single text I I write these days needs a correction. And it used to be that you at least had a chance of saying that what you meant to say. Now there's such a good chance that at least one of the words in any given sentence that you write is improperly spelled or misdirected. So we're no longer communicating, even in our number one prime way to communicate with each other, we're no longer doing it effectively. And even when we are doing it, we have been discouraged from being in groups together. We become afraid of each other. I would say that the lockdown had us really learn how to be afraid of each other. And not only that, we weren't able to see each other's mouth move. So we weren't really able to see each other speaking because of masks. And we weren't allowed to get close or to touch each other. So we lost that level of connection. There's been a really major fracture in our capacity and our interest in communicating with each other. Plus, we have become even increasingly afraid of each other. Pretty sure that the other person either has a virus or if they don't have a virus, then maybe what they have is a a stand on a particular issue that is so opposed to mine that I can't pay any attention to them about anything else once they say that. If they say they voted for that person or they say they don't believe in this or that or they say they do believe in this or that and I'm on the other side of that, I don't know about you, but I've lost a number of friends in this process. And I think most people have, including family members who no longer will will, are interested in having an honest and open intercourse with me simply because I believe a certain thing or have said a certain thing or didn't do a certain thing or did do a certain thing. And we have just let each other fall off as if that's like the normal status quo. We are disconnecting as a way of being as if that's a protective mechanism disconnection is not a protective mechanism from anything
0: yeah as you as you're speaking that i i that's hitting me viscerally right i think we can all we all feel disconnected that's just the state of our culture today certainly going through just some here in the united states and worldwide really but these just different political upheavals we've got this you know we had that crazy virus thing happen to all of us and and it just drove this wedge in between like you said, even even into families and loved ones, where once upon a time we would agree to disagree. We would have this civil discourse, and that doesn't seem to be available to us anymore. And now we have the, you know, the pendulum's swung so far that we have this crazy cancel culture where you're to your point that it's fear. We have to self-censor. We can't be our we're afraid to be our authentic selves. And what a tragedy that is, right? So when when we talk about this fear of being our authentic selves, what's the roadmap out of that? What what's the prescription? How do we how do we dig ourselves out of this hole?
1: Right. So that it's a great question, and I think you know I've already touched one base on it. Is like, well, let's look at the alternative. What happens if we don't dig ourselves out of the hole? If we don't, dig, it's curtains, dude. We're done. It's over. Humanity's done. I I look. I don't mean to be skeptical about it. It's just the truth. If we don't learn how to communicate, it's over. If we don't learn how to communicate with people that we don't that we don't otherwise respect, it's over. Like hmm. that's what's here. So let's look at the alternative number one. And now you're starting looking at, okay, yeah, proactively though, what can we do about it? One of the things we can do about it is look at one of the topics I brought up a few moments ago, which is this whole ludicrous, preposterous, absurd notion that. Trying to be someone that you're not in order to protect the person you are is a good idea. That is just bullshit. That is straight bullshit. And when it comes out of my mouth, you can hear how bullshit it is. Like, you're going to be disregarded anyways. It doesn't even work. Like, trying to be someone you're not won't get you uncanceled. You'll just be canceled by a different crowd. Yeah. And so you get canceled, you you make your waves, you get disregarded, you get dismissed, you get thrown off the island. So not only does it not work, but the strategy itself is just ludicrous in its construction. So when we start looking at that, we start realizing that what the world wants more than anything is authenticity. And what do I mean by that? Well, here's at least one good example. You've probably been in a room where someone was saying something that you diametrically opposed. They were saying something about the other candidate, or they were saying something about the virus, or they were saying something about BLM, or they were saying something about something, and you diametrically disapposed with whatever it was that they were saying. Nevertheless, because they were speaking from their heart, because they were speaking from their truth, from their core value system, they became not only tolerable that, but I find myself actually wanting to hear more from them. Even though they disagree. It turns out that authenticity is a much greater force than simple agreement. We think that agreeing is a way to avoid conflict. But agreeing is not a way to avoid conflict. The way to avoid conflict is to be authentic. You will be respected so much more for being authentic and in line and genuine with the people you're speaking with about what you're experiencing than you ever would be by just simply agreeing to and, you know, just bumping up against people and letting them go on and on. So what does a true voice really mean? True voice means actually expressing yourself in a way that moves the needle forward. So some people misinterpret true voice as being like going to the mountaintops and screaming as loud as you can, how much you hate your mother-in-law. Like that's not, that's not true voice. True voice, the number one ingredient in true voice, and we've already touched on this as well, is listening, really listening to the other person and listening to what the world is calling for in order to move that needle forward and then contributing to do exactly that. And that might mean being silent. It might mean saying things, you know, in in careful ways so as not to hurt. There's no reason to overtly hurt another person, no matter what they think about any particular issue. That's just, again, what kind of response is that? It's not even it's not even elementary school. It's like insane. It will, who says you should do that? Why should you do that? Why should you hurt another person for what they believe? That's just insane. Yeah. You know, I guess there are stretches to that. If what they believe means that you're in danger... That's a different story, but that's not really the truth in most cases. So the again, what's here is to make those incremental changes, to stand up and realize that you're afraid, to stand up and realize that the crack in the cement from way back as a child, when you learned how to exaggerate, exaggerate and fabricate and make up stories for your own behalf for the short-term outcome, you know, I used to get my sister in trouble for stuff that I did and it worked. It worked. It, it, yeah. it definitely worked. I, now, I could keep doing that, but I'm 65 flipping years old. I don't need to be doing that anymore. And, I, you know, the crack in the cement got wider and wider. We never went back to, repeat, to repair it. The idea is we could. We don't have much to say about what's going on in the world, but we do have something to say about what we have to say. Hmm. What we can say in the next moment is anything. We still unbelievably live in a world where we can say anything. Thank God for sure that First Amendment is built in some serious foundational rock. And you and I are on this podcast and actually can and really could say anything in the next few seconds. Anything. It is not based on who we become up until now. So we could speak a truth that we have never said before. We could speak to a feeling that we have never expressed before. We could actually represent a thought process or a way of being that we've never shown before. We could. And I invite us to do that, especially incremental changes. You don't have to take big, big strides, especially the, the group, the sage group over 50 years old. There are listeners here like we are the ones leading a league, showing people how to speak our wisdom. How to speak, not necessarily fearlessly, but over the top of our fear. Hmm. Respect and embrace the fear. It's here. It's real. It's honest. And it's true. It's okay to be afraid. But you can either be afraid and not speak your true voice or be afraid and speak your true voice. You got two choices. It's not related. So when we speak authentically, there's a, I'll call it an intoxication that takes place. I know for me, I live duplicitously, having written prescriptions, for instance, for 100,000 patients and each of them hurting myself. I know I live duplicitously with my relationships and with my relationship with money and stuff as I was going through my 30s, 40s and 50s, etc. Um, now I find myself really committed to living more authentically than I ever have each and every conversation and each and every day. And nothing feels better. It's thoroughly intoxicating. So not only does it feel good to be aligned with what I'm saying and what I'm doing, but it also opens the space for the people I'm with to do the same.
0: Yeah, 100%. Opening up that space. And that's what we're trying to do here. So as, as you were talking about ways we might overcome this fear, it's, it's, it seemed to me like a couple of things stand out. One is that big, that big piece of communication, listening. I think that we've. What happens so often now, we live in this world where when somebody says something, like you said, that I'm diametrically opposed to or is triggering to me, as opposed to listening, I immediately put up a wall. They're wrong and right. I'm right. There's a moral – I've made a moral right. judgment there of that other person, mm-hmm. and that's not furthering our either one of our causes one little bit. We're I'm, I'm actually definitely – putting harm in the world when I put that wall. Exactly. Up. So I exactly. think maybe the first step is learning how to listen, not saying that's easy, but learning how to listen because it's easy to listen to, to people that agree with you. If you just live in an echo chamber, it's probably agree with everybody. But, and then the other piece is that not so much overcoming fear, but maybe even just leaning into it, realizing that it may be scary to speak your truth. In your truth, to to live in your truth, but to just lead into that in spite of the fear, not to necessarily overcome it, and taking these small steps to become that more authentic person. Because what what did you say? To the sorriest thing would be to go to the go to the grave with with the song still in your heart. And I'm a big believer that all of us are here for a purpose, and that we have this flame or this light inside of us. If we could just identify what that is and share it with the world. We're that actualized person. We're we're stepping into our purpose. We're living this fulfilled, authentic life. And I, I think it's tragic when people just don't understand what their purpose is. And there's plenty of us out here in the 50-plus age bracket that we don't know why we're here. We don't know what our purpose is, let alone mm-hmm. have the tools to share it. If somebody's in that kind of position, they're like, you know what? All of this is, all this is resonating with me. Yes, I get triggered. Yes, I have difficult family relationships now because of politics and everything else. And I'm not sure what my purpose is. And I just feel kind of lost other than, you know, the things we've talked about. What's, what do they need to improve their mental health? I I suppose it goes back to what you said. Hey, we're, if you're, if you feel normal and safe in this, if you feel balanced in this unbalanced world, there's probably something wrong with you. But first things first, they're they they're probably, quote unquote, normal for feeling that way. Is that fair?
1: Yeah, that's fair. I think that what you're really talking about is finding his true voice. So that's what the book yeah. that I wrote, that's the book that I wrote was Find Your True Voice. And it really is a matter of really just washing off the rust and cleaning off the cobwebs and the dust that has really landed on what was there when you were two or three years old. That mm. same person, the fact that you can even call anything when you were two or three, that person right there. Really knows how to live, as it turns out. Really knows some of the simplicities and the natural tendencies of what it takes to get along with another human being. There was there wasn't so much spite and despite and disregard for people when you were lit before you went to elementary school. It was only then where you started learning how to create clicks and how to disregard people and to move people into the other group, et cetera, like that. So the you know if you're really going to take steps here. As to finding what's important to you, I invite you to come take my course as well. So I, I, I don't mean I didn't necessarily mean to do a, a direct pitch here, but the course, the True Voice Podcasting Course, is is just a it's a work of art, and it can't, I feel like a vessel that I've really created it. The course is a six module, eighteen lesson, fifty four prompt course. It has a workbook that's associated with it. It takes about twelve weeks to actually do it entirely well. And I have a number of graduates from the live course that have, you know, really said that it has altered their lives very positively. And that's just a way to really just scramble up the things that have gotten in the way of you being in touch with who your core self is. It's sort of not true. In some ways, I'm really challenging the notion that you don't know why you're here. You actually do know why you're here, but you're unwilling to embrace it and grasp it. If you moved all the things that were out of your way about being afraid to say that was the reason why you're here, then you would have easy access to that. We all really do have a knowledge of where our superpowers are, why we're really called here to do, where our strengths are, where we can affect the greatest change and make the greatest impact. And we already have access to that. But the road between where we think we are now and where that is, is muddied. And it's, you know, speckled with, with rust and dust and, and cobwebs. And it's time to really move those things out of the way so that you don't have to discover why you're here. You have to rediscover why you're here. It's already there with you, I promise. And in fact, there's probably nobody out there who's hearing me and thinking, no, it's, I had no idea. No, you actually do have an idea, whether it's love or helping people. Or creativity, creating art or music or dancing or singing or drama, or whether it's your children or whether it's, you know, being a role model for people, like, you know, keeping peace in the neighborhood or peace in your family or peace in the community. There are many different reasons that could be. Most of them are pretty benevolent, by the way. Most of the reasons that you're here are because you really are a good person who's out to make a positive difference. And even the people who do really stupid shit those people also think that
0: they're here for positive reasons and just got warped over time. All right, people, we need your superpowers. Time to maybe not so much discover them, but just get things out of the way to unblock your superpowers, unleash them on the world. We need them now more than ever. That's no kidding. Yeah, right. All right. Well, Dr. Fred, I want to shift gears a little bit because you are well known as the undoctor and you talk about empowering people through undiagnosing, unmedicating, undoctoring. Talk to us a little bit about what is undoctoring? What does that
1: mean? Okay. So what does undoctoring mean? Basically, I got the name, I got that moniker from a friend of mine a few years ago who told me that I should pay him $10,000 for giving it to me because (laughs) he knew that it really would land well and it did. So basically what the undoctor doctor is, that's what happened in 2006. In 2006, I had enough of just medicating people because that was what was being asked of me. And I began to really unmedicate people and, and really saw that they got better and often way, way better and frankly, often where their diagnosis disappeared. So I began to really conjecture that the medicines were actually perpetuating or increasing or causing the symptoms they were marketed to treat. And that that the treatment itself, like I, I couldn't just come at Big Pharma. So the next thing I began to realize is why do people take medicine in the first place? And the only reason that people take medicine for their mental health is they are convinced that there's something wrong with them. They're outside the range of normalcy and that they need help with some sort of organic toxin built in a laboratory to rebalance their otherwise imbalanced self. That's called the diagnosis. So you might know a lot of people out there. I know I do. People who say, you know, they, who use their diagnosis almost weaponizing it. They almost use it as a tool to relinquish responsibility for living their life, respo- living their life accountably. Meaning, they do something like if I did something, if I piss off my wife, or I get angry too fast, or something like that, I could say, you know, that wasn't me. That was my ADHD, or that was my PTSD, or that was my social phobia, or that was my. I don't know, whatever, spectrum disorder, or my depression, or my generalized anxiety disorder, whatever diagnosis I want to say I have, and that all of a sudden really makes a claim that I'm not responsible for that behavior. Now, the truth is, we would all love to give someone else responsible for the behaviors we do that we're not proud of. If you want to take responsibility for the rest of the stupid things I'm about to do today, I'll be glad to give Mm -hmm. you that responsibility. And you know, we don't, want to, we don't naturally want to take credit for the things that might cause us blame or shame or guilt for ourselves. So sometimes taking a diagnosis actually does that, the idea that if I have ADHD, that's why I don't complete things on, ta- on time. If I have some form of bipolar disorder, that's why I get moody so fast. If I have depression, that's why I have trouble getting out of bed and getting to work on time, or you know, brushing my teeth or taking care of myself. The truth is, that is not why, you know, and those are diagnoses. And, and I'm going to really submit here that it's not the diagnosis at the heart of this. It's a diagnosis that was secondarily put on top of it. And you looked it up or someone looked it up on the Internet. When you agree you have a diagnosis, what you're basically saying is, I need treatment. I need adjustment. And so that's when you reach towards medications or some form of treatment plan. So instead of blaming the medicines, like blaming rat poison for killing rats doesn't make a lot of sense. It's Rat poison is simply an inert substance. Medicines are simply inert substances. They just are. It's, they're not causing the problem. Medicines are not causing the problem. When you choose to put that medicine in your body, that's what's causing the problem. The person who chose to put that medicine in your body is named you. And now, again... You say, oh, these medicines screwed me up. No, actually, the medicines didn't screw you up. You eating the medicines is what screwed you up. And so we think, well, yeah, but the doctor told me to. Yeah, but just because someone tells you to doesn't mean you have to do it. Do you know that it doesn't even take a medical license to get someone to stop their medicine? You don't write a prescription for stopping medicine. You just stop it. The doctor says, stop it. He doesn't write, stop Prozac. He doesn't write that. He just says, you know, someone says it or you say it yourself and you stop your medicine. The only person who's making a choice to put those medicines that aren't helping into your body is you or the person. Maybe not you, but, you know, you, the listener, you might be someone. I used to back in a day, I used to ask people how many people know someone with a mental illness and not every hand in the room would go up. These days, if you're silly enough to ask that question, you're going to get 100% of hands for sure. Yeah. And normally, if you say, does everyone have someone in their family who's mentally ill? The answer is yes. It's a it's a pervasive epidemic, this mental illness concept. And the idea is, is that we have accepted diagnoses and then thereby accepted the treatments that are, that are associated with it. Frequently, they're associated with medication. And I realize that it is in that acceptance of the diagnosis is when we then get on the slide to end up taking medicine to redirect or refocus or rebalance ourselves. And by instead of unme- I used to be an unmedicating doctor, but now I realize that it was really important to not only be an unmedicating doctor, but to be an undiagnosing doctor. And instead of presuming that there's you know something wrong with us. Uh, the possibility is that maybe there's nothing wrong with you. Maybe, in fact, mental illness is simply a conversation, and that's where global madness got its roots. By the way, the idea was that I was going to go around the world and see how mental illness is dealt with and tre- uh, diagnosed and treated in different corners of the planet. We would see that they're dealt with in totally different ways. How your concerns are dealt with in, you know, here in America versus how the same concerns would be dealt with in Finland or Australia or Rwanda or Auckland or something like that. Totally different country after country. That's not true with most medical conditions. If you have a broken arm in Little Rock, Arkansas, it's the same broken arm in Singapore. If you have a mental social phobia in Little Rock, Arkansas, it is not even close to the same in Rwanda or in Singapore or in Tibet. It's totally, mis- totally mis- differently interpreted, and so since it's totally different interpreted culture through culture, it means it doesn't have a firm, di- a firm base. And without a firm base, it's not a reality. It's actually a cultural base phenomena, and thereby subject to full and in- full scale transformation.
0: Okay, so it that case, and so that's interesting. I hadn't heard that concept of. Mental, But it, it makes sense now that you say it. I think that even we might see how we treat, say, something like social anxiety or mild depression differently, even within different parts of the United States or yeah. by different cultural groups. Yeah. Certainly, you can see how there'd be a wide variation when you've scaled that out globally. But now when you talk about unmedicating and this undoctoring philosophy, is there, is there a place for prescription meds for mental illness or are you throwing it all out?
1: So you're not the first person to ask me this question, of course. And (laughs) um, that's what comes to mind, right? Yeah. Really interesting question. So here's the only time that I see that medicines are worthwhile is if someone is taking medicine and you probably have some listeners who are, who feel like it's their answer. They have found their truth. They have found their answer. They're diagnosed. They're taking their medicine. They're totally sure that this is the best it's going to get. They have found their way of living in the world that they don't want to necessarily improve upon or change. They're really happy with how things are going. And that's the way it is. And there is a group of people who are like that. And and for the sake of that, people, the disclaimer I'd like to make is I'm not speaking to coming off those medicines. If you have found anything in this world that is actually working for you, you should keep doing it. Please keep doing it. Who I'm speaking to is the hundreds of millions of people who disagree with that. There are hundreds of millions of people who feel like they are not being treated properly with their diagnosis, that their treatments themselves are not working optimally, and they want some help. Now, with respect to medications, is there ever, I, I don't remember the last time that I was the first person to prescribe a medicine to somebody. Yeah. The only way that I will prescribe medicines, if they're already taking it and they want to keep taking it, and in that case, I would I would con- consider continuing. You know, I, I might make the statement that it would be good to come off. I might tell somebody that it might be better to come off, but I would not, not discontinue medicine uh, abruptly not that, by the way, not that tapering is any safer than discontinuing abruptly. That's a whole different topic. The idea being that I'm not here to alter something that's not broken. And if you're already sure your medicines are helping you, then by all means,
0: continue taking them. Okay. No, that's, that's a fair answer. It seems like this is probably changing somewhat in in younger generations, but certainly our generation, right? Those of us 50, 60s, 70s. We, there's this there's this authority that we give to doctors, right? We, doctors are on a pedestal, and what they say goes because they know what's best for us. And it seems like there's this movement now where we're our own healthcare advocates and we're reclaiming our health. A lot of us, but it does seem like you had just mentioned it takes a doctor to prescribe a drug. But I never really thought about it. It doesn't. There's no real unprescribing, right? There's no. That's right. It, to give ourselves that permission might seem scary well a doctor an authority who knows more than me clearly has told me to do this just that there's i, th- I think that's probably where a lot of us end up right we were told by an authority we just went yeah. along with it because they know best right that's they Yeah to as if we all years, listen right? to authorities <laughs> yeah i suppose yeah right
1: like we don't listen to any other authority we somehow think that doctors are worth listening to it's really kind of crazy
0: yeah yeah. All right. Well, Dr. Fred, as we're wrapping up here, what's next for you? What's what's on the horizon? What, what's got you excited here in the near future?
1: Yeah. I'm just putting together, you know, really, I like this concept of podcasts and podcast guessing. I have my own podcast, the Healthy Healer Podcast. It's launching these days and I like guesting. I really like getting on shows like yours and answering questions so I can get aligned with my core self inside these questions and then making a difference in the world. And if your listeners really want to know a little bit more about the things that I'm doing, they can go to Dr. Fred, drfred360.com. And drfred360.com, there's a lot of freebies there. You can download some of my books. You can sign up for my courses. You can sign up for a one-to-one discovery call. It's a very cool website. I just recently got it put together, and it really takes into consideration everything that I'm doing. It's kind of a, a good little... What is it? Almost like a warehouse for all the things that I'm up to in the world. So you can find me there at drfred360.com. And then ultimately what I am is a life optimizing specialist. So the people that I'm working with these days are not only the healers and the patients or ex-patients, people who are thinking about going into mental health or people who are leaving mental health. That's I'm good at that revolving door. And that's really a great place for me to stand. I do love people. I love helping people in that area. But it's really for helping anyone who has found themselves now misaligned with their life, like no longer speaking their true voice, no longer feeling in resonant, no f- longer having a purpose, no longer having a, a you know, a reason. d'etre basically, like you know, that's that's my group. And I'm, I've been warned against having my niche be too large, but it turns out that the niche I just described is probably several billion deep. Yeah. So I have to be a little bit careful about that. Sure.
0: (laughs) Yes, it is. I think you're talking to all of us listening there, right? The the misaligned and the disenfranchised. All right. Well, folks, that was drfred360.com. I will drop that as well as all of his social media, all that good stuff into the show notes. You guys can find that there. Dr. Fred, I want to thank you so much for coming onto this show today, sharing with us not just your wisdom, but really your true authentic self For Coming on here and helping us in through this difficult times. And I appreciate the work you do and just really honor you and wish you all the best in all your future endeavors. Thank you so much. It's
1: really great to be with you. And I understand that your listeners are over 50. So, you know, and or at least most of them. And I'm really, really happy to speak as part of that group. Today I was asking myself, am I over 50? And I was like, Yeah, Fred, you're 15 years ago, you turned 50. And it's like, wow, it's really great. I had a I had a ruptured aortic aneurysm three weeks ago yesterday. So 12 weeks ago, I'm, I'm 12 weeks post open heart surgery right now. Wow. And so emergency open heart surgery, like, you know, wheel me in and 40% mortality kind of thing. Oh. Yeah. So this is who I get to be. And I get to be that. And it kind of just re-sparked me into, oh, what the hell am I still doing here? Why did my maker leave me here? And this is part of the reason, so that I could activate you people so that you can go activate the people who are younger than us, who are counting on us to be the wise souls in the world.
0: Right on. Let's start a
1: revolution, let's make it happen.
0: Okay. That's our show for today, folks. If you've enjoyed this podcast, I want to let you know that we have other free resources over at silveredgefree.com. There you'll find our free guides with our top tips on nutrition, exercise, and healthy lifestyle to assist you in your weight loss and fitness journey. So feel free to head over there and download anything that looks useful to you. I'll put links to everything we talked about in the show notes, and you folks can find those over at silveredgefitness.com slash 204. As we wrap up our time together today, you can show your support for this show in two important ways. The first is to tell a friend about this podcast and encourage them to give it a listen. The second is for you YouTube folks to click the like and subscribe buttons and you podcast folks to please consider giving this podcast a five-star review on whatever platform you listen to podcasts on and be sure to subscribe and follow so you don't miss any future episodes. I really appreciate you spending your time with me today and until next time, stay strong.